the J Cut and this is the K Cut. My name is Rachel and I write for Films Fatale. I love lost films, silent films, anything classic and anything international. James here, content creator. I have an affinity for no to low budget film and 70 cinema. I produce release music under the A-list Boutique Paul. I am one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. I'm a member of Films Fatale and more recently I became a stay-at-home husband so I could pursue all my creative ventures full time. Yay! Amazing. Congratulations. Uh, Andreas here. I'm the creator and uh, one of the writers of Films Fatale. I love international and art house cinema, but I do love a little bit of everything. And that extends into uh, television as well. So I'm very excited for this week. Uh, Rachel, you came up with this idea, and I know you yourself are easily a much bigger television aficionado than I am. I'm kind of green with all of this, and I'm playing a lot of catch-up this year, so why did you, I I can guess why, but why did you come up with this week's topic, and what exactly is it? Well, I was thinking about, so recently we had the passing, very sadly, of Michael Constantine, who played the dad in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which was hilarious. He was wonderful. But there was a horrible adaptation called My Big Fat Greek Life. Ah, yes. Yes. Yeah, it was terrible. It lasted a few episodes, which was exactly what it deserved, and then it was mercifully off the air. So that got me thinking, which movies have succeeded as television shows? Which movies maybe haven't done so well? And when a television show gets made into a movie, what happens then? So we've seen examples of both. Some are pretty good, some are dreadful, and I'd like to explore it. Uh, Before we continue, you brought up my big fat Greek life. I'll never forget. There are just some jokes that are so bad. And I'll never forget in one of the episodes, um, you know, his character, unfortunately, rest in peace, uh, had this joke about, I don't want anybody dancing in front of the dancing Zorbas because that's the name of the restaurant. And I was like, oh, my God. And I have not forgotten it. And it's been over 20 years. And I guess at least there's that, I guess. But uh, (laughs) yeah, Uh, rightfully canceled very early. But let's talk about those success stories. What are some of our favorites? Uh, Rachel, do you want to start since this was uh, this was your topic? Right. So if we're starting from TV or from film to TV, I'm afraid mine isn't a very good example. That's all right. Um, Let's start off with a with a with a bomb, I guess. Okay. so. We all know the movie Casablanca. We've discussed it on this series, and ever since it came out, people have tried to make sequels. There was a failed movie, there were a couple of written versions that were basically fan fiction. Um, Everybody wants to know what happened to these characters after, or they wanted to adapt it in some other way. If it has been written or produced or anything like that, I've probably seen it. And what very few people realize is that Casablanca was actually made into not one, but two television series. No, come on. Two? Yeah. I didn't even know it was turned into one. That's right. So first one was in the 50s. Um, It was, from what I gather, well, it's included as an extra on one of the Casablanca DVDs, which I had growing up. The pilot is. It lasted for about less than 10 episodes, I would say, and they (laughs) updated it to the Cold War. Oh, wow. So it still took place in Casablanca with the same characters and everything, different actors. But it was 10 years later. It made absolutely no sense. Uh, I believe Charles McGraw played Rick, and he was absolutely, like, couldn't couldn't touch it. Wasn't anywhere near what you wanted. He was so, eh. And then, um, so it fizzled out and died. It was part of a series of Warner Brothers trying to cross over to television. They adapted a couple of other movies at the same time. 
I haven't seen the full series just because it's very hard to find. I do know that Marcel Dalio, who played the croupier in Casablanca, now got to play um, Captain Renault. And then the actor who played Abdul, who was the bodyguard of Rick's, uh, managed to upgrade to play Ferrari. So there were some cool guest stars as well. It was just so far from the original that it really didn't succeed. And then you go to the 80s and they decided to adapt it again. And who else are they going to have as Rick but David Sewell from Starsky and Hutch? Oh, come on. He was actually decent. And the thing is, they what they did was they set it a year before the events of the movie. So you had Rick, you had most of the characters, you didn't have Elsa and Victor, but you would allude to them. So it actually, from what I understand, wasn't a bad series. It just couldn't get close to the original. It would have been compelling if it had just been some guy doing things during the war. But um, it had Hector Elizondo as Renault. It had a very young Ray Liotta as Sasha. So it just had this unbelievable cast. But it was trying to imitate a much better product. So the 50s one was bad, but the 80s one maybe could have succeeded. Okay, that's that's actually honestly very surprising. Um, but you well, never Scatman know. Scatman Crothers was Sam. Sorry? Scatman Crothers, who played um, the gardener in The Shining, was Sam. Ah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. You see, like, sometimes there are, like, some glimpses of hope. And then sometimes, I know it's not really based on any of the films, but you get something like Hannibal. So... yeah. Or, you know, okay, Bait to Motel doesn't hold a candle to Psycho, but it was it was all right. So you never know with this type of thing. Um, but I don't know, just cast a blank off the top of my head. It sounds like there are some interesting ideas in both of them, even though one might have succeeded more than the other. But it's one of those things where it's it, it should just be rendered untouched entirely because... The success of that movie was so much lightning in a bottle, you know? Um, yeah. It was just another studio product, and nobody realized it was going to be as good as it was. So you couldn't make it happen again. Yeah, like, uh, it, it's kind of like a Treasure on the Sierra Madre or whatever. Like, I know a lot of those films are still beloved as well, but, like, not on the level that Casablanca is. And, it, like you said, it's just one of those ones that just managed to resonate. And the vagueness of its ending, because... I mean, these are two lovers or former lovers that weren't ever meant to to reunite again. And this is that event. So what's going to happen next? We don't know. And that's kind of what's nice about it. You're not meant to really ever find out. Um, but hey, I guess this was an honest effort and it could have been much worse. But damn, if you had ever asked me, I would have never predicted that there was a show, let alone two, based on Casablanca. That's wild. Don't seek it out, guys. It, it's scarring. I, I, I shan't. The best adaptation of Casablanca is Carrot Blanca starring Bugs Bunny. You have my word. Yeah, there we go. That, that's even better than the colorized actual Casablanca, if I'm we not don't mistaken. speak of that. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm right in guessing that. Um, I'll go with mine because I don't know what, what James, what you picked, but I know for sure mine's a positive case. Uh, so, you know, maybe to balance things out a little bit. So, mine is an adaptation of a film adaptation of a book. And it's probably one of the best known cases of like a success story in this department ever um, from film to TV. 
I'm going to go with mash as obvious as that is. So it, you know, I knew that's what it was going to (laughs) be. Well, of course, uh, it all started from the Richard Hooker book, mash a novel about three army doctors written from an actual, uh, practice, an an actual uh, practicing surgeon. And obviously what I do love is that this was the big breakthrough for, um, for Altman with his film version. And, Altman's films have these massive casts, not always, but his signature films have these massive casts and this detached feeling from typical Hollywood. So they kind of just zip past you and you're clinging on to everything that you can grab onto. So it's like this whole myriad of things happening. So to see that transcend into this series by Larry Gilbart or, you know, initially created by him, um, it's so interesting to see how they could develop all of these ideas in all of these episodes, all these little jokes now have their own life or all of the uh, little sprinkles of, of drama that you could find in the film now take up entire episodes. And I feel like really, if you look at the whole big picture of this, and I have written about mash on films fatal before for my, um, my perfect reception series. It's, I, I don't want to call it miraculous because it's not like this was doomed to fail, but so much of its genesis and duration is just singular. So, so many actors came and went outside of Alan Alda um, and like maybe one or two other people like uh, Loretta Swit, let's say. Everybody else kind of came and went, but the series was still great. You know, even creative heads were swapping but it was still great. And, you know, the show took on a more serious tone, but then it experimented with like really creative episodes, like one that's completely in a first person perspective. Um, one that's actually got like a real clock. So it's like shot in real time in the corner. So, you know, that this person could die any second that they're working on. And this is from an adaptation of an ultimate film, which is an adaptation of a book. Like they really tried their best to reinvent the wheel here And that goes without saying when it comes to the finale, which it's tough to call it the greatest finale of all time because so many great ones have come since, but it set the bar for what the greatest finale of all time can be. So for 11 seasons, they really made sure that this adaptation was worth a damn. And that's why it's my favorite example of this. I would 100% agree. I think that it is a perfect example of taking what's good about the original and expanding it and making it its own. Yeah, like, uh, I've always wanted to get into this series for years. Um, I have a family friend who uh, I was helping move and they had this on and I I just knew it resonated with me for some reason. But especially when I'm a big fan of Damon Lindelof, which I'm sure will anger some people, maybe 10 years ago, that would anger a lot of people. But he said that the finale was like his go-to resource for why he wanted to create like the best finales or attempt to. And that piqued my interest, especially because, I mean, like, MASH is not lost or The Leftovers, right? It's got nothing to do with those. Um, and to be, to be fair, it's really got very little in line with, what, with how he writes. But the idea of this magnitude-shattering finale that could be attached to what's essentially kind of a sitcom. A sitcom that didn't, you know, let itself just be a sitcom, you know? 
The world stopped when that series ended for for half an hour or however long it was. And I don't think that's going to happen again, not with the way television's divided these days. I feel like the closest we've gotten was the Seinfeld finale, you know, showing up in Times Square and other stations, like, kind of blocking out that hour. Um, I mean, if Game of Thrones ended well, perhaps that would have put the world on a standstill, but instead it just bored everyone to death. I mean, sorry, it's not about that. Um, But it angered people. (laughs) Yes, it it angered me too. Um, Yeah, MASH. MASH is an adaptation of an adaptation with so many revolving doors that should have been set up to fail, but really it ended up becoming one of the greatest series of all time. So that, that is for sure my answer for this question. Uh, what about you, James? I'm, I'm curious to know what yours is. Is it, is it a positive one or a negative one? Mine sits kind of towards the middle. Oh, perfect. Well, I'm glad I went with you last then. Uh, what's yours? So I'm actually going to have you guys guess this and it's going to be a real easy hint. So oh. the TV series I chose spun off our very first collective smorgasbord film. Oh, Shaft? Yes. That's pretty awesome. Wait, there's a Shaft TV show? There was a Shaft TV show. Wow. Not only was it a TV show, it was a single season. They were actually a collection of TV movies. Really? That were all 73 minutes apiece to take up with commercials an hour and a half. That's actually impressive. Did they make a like cohesive storyline or? No. It was very episodic. So what I did before I watched it, because I couldn't actually find it on streaming, so I just I just bought it. Like it wasn't expensive at all. So I was like, you know, what? I'll just buy it and watch all of them. I decided to watch the two Shaft sequels, the sequel features before this, just to like, okay, how does it all work out? And it's not horrible, but it was definitely a miss. And the main problem was the fact that Shaft worked in collaboration with the police as opposed to parallel to the police like we saw in the movie no yeah it didn't it it was really weird like most like there's a fair amount of time he's at the police station working with the lieutenant and they're like solving things together and it was also just kind of generic episodic stuff like oh they're a banker in one episode a banker's wife gets kidnapped and he's got to you know catch the people who are wanting ransom or you know, just stuff like that. So it was general 70s TV stuff. But I was looking more into it and they said part of the problem was because since it was like a TV movie thing, they were released on the third week of every month. And there was also another show that was similar. Like it was another law enforcement show. And um, I because I think it was like they're all designed to be TV movies and be on this like rotating schedule. And I, th- I think the show is called Hawkins. but. They pointed out because of the release schedule and the fact that these two shows had very different audiences that neither of them could develop a solid fan base. And there were also two other shows that featured black actors as leads in crime type shows that even made it even harder and created more competition. So, yeah, it it went for seven episodes and then was canceled. And Richard Roundtree himself doesn't like the TV version, Uh. but... But he's still he's still great as Shaft. He still you know still shows he's one of the greatest actors that's ever been in an action role. But it was just so watered down, and you know, it, it, and I, when I mean watered down, it's it's watered down. Like there's also like very little romance in the show, and I was like, that was like Shaft was a ladies' man. Like you can't take that away from his character. 
Yeah, that's a problem that describes most of these shows that we've been talking about that weren't successful. They're watered down from the original. Well, because it's, you know, you can only do so much for American television. And it was mm-hmm. pre, you know, Netflix. So you you have to kind of watch it. I mean, it was it was entertaining at moments. I mean, I don't regret watching it. I don't wish I, I'd unseen it. But it's just one of those things where it kind of echoes the sentiment. Not everything needs to be a franchise. Because, I mean, even the sequel features weren't amazing. Hey, they're OK. They weren't terrible, but nothing just nothing beats the original. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, unlike something like Casablanca, I feel like that this is interesting because I feel like the cultural, you know, the pop culture aspect of Shaft and trying to stem more from the story. I mean, it's worth a shot, you know, so I feel like, you know, they they tried. Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I commend them for trying. It just it just it's not fit for TV. It just it was just too much. It, it was just too restrictive being on the small screen. Yeah. Cause once again, it's like, you know, how, how far can they go? And it was just, it was just very bland and kind of tone deaf. I mean, you know, at least, I mean, we got, we got many moments where the shaft theme played. That was cool. But yeah, I just think it's, it took away from his character. The fact that he was like, so cooperative with the police as if he was a member of the force himself. Yeah, so they're not even being truthful, I guess. I mean, there there are moments where he takes matters into his own hands. There's even a scene where I'm just like, this is very questionable. Like, morally, <laughs> I don't think I should be okay with this. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who... Actually, I'll spoil it. No one will ever see it. There's a point where he actually takes a matter in his own hands and kills the perpetrator and figures out a way to, like... And then by the end, it was, you know... No. Him and the lieutenant kind of talk about how, oh, this person's body was found this. This is, this is what they think happened or what they fabricated to happen. And I was like... For something that was a bit lighthearted, they got took a dark turn. That was probably the darkest moment in the show. And I'm just like, um, what? It also just makes you kind of like, also think like, yeah, law enforcement can kind of do whatever it wants if it really wants to. Wow. So uh, in, in this theme song, was it basically saying all of the plot of the, of the show? Like, uh, who's the guy who's going to kill a man? Not Shaft. I mean, because then <laughs> no, it there, there was actually no lyrics. It was just the instrumental. Ah, well, I mean. It also it also it also recurred as like part of the scoring also. So it was like there's certain moments where it's like you'd hear like the score come in and come out. Oh, that's nice. It's like, you know, I mean, I mean it's it, it's it's typical of every show that, you know, lead character that has a theme song. It just sort of comes in and out. Awesome. I don't know. It was it was intense watching it, though. 73 minute episodes, seven of them. Like, I thought it was like, oh, it'll probably be like 20 something minutes. No, they went full TV movie with everyone. Well, I mean, if they were good, that'd be a blessing. But it sounds like it's uh, not really so. But um, I guess now we should look at the, uh, the TV series that are fit to be movies. So, or perhaps not, because I mean, we've seen some uh, not so great examples of the alternative. So, uh, yeah, let's let's look and let's look at some TV series that became films. Uh, perhaps we should just go in the same order. So, uh, Rachel, what series turned movie are you going to discuss? Well, this one is a success, and that is the Brady Bunch movie, because they did something really... Yes, have you seen it? I've seen both Brady Bunch movies. Oh, no, I'm talking about... Oh, you mean... Yeah, there's the one with the sequel, Um, and then there's there were a couple of TV movies that were pretty bad back in, like, the 80s, but I'm talking about the 90s one with Shelley Long, Um, and it did get a sequel, which wasn't great, but the first one was really ingenious, because the Brady Bunch was always a bit corny cheesy it was not 
really meant to be taken too seriously. It was kind of the full house of its day, late 60s, early 70s. It was a little much even for that era. And by the time you got to the jaded Gen X 90s, it was definitely too too silly to adapt into a movie. So what they did was they took the 70s Bradys and set them in the 90s. And so they're a complete fish out of water. Their neighbors are all terrified of them because they're like Stepford family over there. And they have all these 70s illusions. And it really works quite well because they can play off this alternate world. Yeah, so it's like a commentary and uh, kind of in the same way that I remembered that uh, My Big Fat Greek Life thing, but not because it was terrible. I've only seen this movie once when I was a kid in a theater. I still remember a little bit of it because it's just so out there. Like they really went to town on this. They weren't being completely unfaithful because it's still very much this milieu of the family and everything but they've yeah they've transported them into a place that they shouldn't be thus making it a worthwhile experience yeah they they expanded on the original just like mash did when it became a tv series so to me the best adaptations take the they keep the essence but they do something new with it and that is exactly what this movie did and they found some really excellent replacements for the original actors Yes, absolutely. And I feel like it was so tongue-in-cheek. Whereas I feel like the original series was goofy and corny, but trying to be sincere with it. This film was self-aware. And I feel like that was the major difference. So, like, I don't remember the character, but when the one daughter leaves their brush at home and they have to, like... There we go. And they have to, like, fly back. But instead of flying back, I'm pretty sure they just, like, reversed the footage of the plane. So now it's, like, flying backwards. I mean, like, that's what I'm really talking about. That's obviously. hilarious. Yeah. That, that's amazing. So, and, and it, it actually fits so well in line with, like, you know, you're looking at, like, Austin Powers and that type of stuff that was coming out around that time. It actually fits in perfectly with, like, an Ace Venture and all of that. But obviously the Brady version. Yeah, and so now it's our turn to do 90s Nostalgia, so make with the ironic adaptations, guys. (laughs) (laughs) What should we make? We should make a... Full House, hmm. the gritty reboot. Not Fuller House. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if if Fuller House didn't happen, there would be like a perfect call for that, but I feel like we might have to wait a while. Although there is that, uh, not like a tongue-in-cheek, but that Wonder Years remake. uh, My girlfriend and I have been watching it. It's It's actually really interesting. It's like definitely in style of the original, but like completely its own thing as well. Um, But we're not talking about series that became series. We're talking about series that became films. And mine's also very obvious, although I technically have two answers. They both apply. Um, If anybody knows anything about me, you could see this coming a mile away. It's like, if you get hit by this truck, then it's just on you. Um, Yeah. Uh, the two answers are kind of one and the same. Uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me and Twin Peaks The Return, which is the, uh, the miniseries. Uh, Fire Walk With Me is so good. Yeah, it's technically considered an 18-hour movie, depending on who you ask. So I'm just going to go with both. Um, Fire Walk With Me, unlike the Brady film, I feel like, I won't say it was maligned upon release, but I feel like it just didn't, work upon release but it's definitely being reassessed as time goes by um it certainly isn't perfect or polished because there was actually supposed to be a series of films 
meant to conclude the entire Twin Peaks story or, you know, conclude with ambiguity as David Lynch is, is known for. And a lot of what was left was actually released as, you know, these missing pieces, I think they were called. So before The Return came out, you could actually see these these clues that you were supposed to see. And I think they go on for a couple of hours, these deleted scenes. So, but anyway, getting back to Brass Tacks, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me is a prequel. I won't say at all what it's about outside of it's the final days of Laura Palmer's life because the rest of it is insanely spoiler heavy. You're not. Well, it's also a partial sequel too. Partial, very yeah, very small. It kind of plays with both. Kind of, but it's it really is meant to be if it's meant to be an addition to if you've seen the series. I believe that he was going to go more the sequel route with the other films. He was going to make a Cooper one, I think, and a few other characters. This was obviously a Laura Palmer one. And it just didn't work out because it kind of bombed at the box office, if I'm not mistaken. Also, Kyle MacLachlan didn't want to return for a, like a big role in the movie. Which is unfortunate because now he couldn't disagree more. Now he would he will do an Agent Cooper whatever if it ever arises again, which it could. I believe it actually could. I don't think it should, but you never know. So yeah, the final the final days of Laura Palmer being alive, which isn't a spoiler because Twin Peaks literally is about the death of Laura Palmer, discovering who it is, who uh, discovering who murdered her. There's other stuff that's very spoiler heavy. It's being reassessed because of what. First off, Twin Peaks itself is being reassessed and went from being a cult classic to honestly being considered one of the greatest series of all time. And I agree with that assessment. Um, but the film itself, it's so tough because it, on one hand, it doesn't really work if you've not seen the show. It kind of just exists. But on the other hand, it's some of the most raw, intense cinema of the 90s. And it gets really crazy. But then that ultimately leads into the return, which itself is easily some of the most game changing television I've ever seen especially specific portions of it. I won't go further into that. Um, but yeah, those are those are my answers. I love Twin Peaks and I love these extensions, these cinematic extensions of that universe where you're getting the rawest version of the story in one single film back in the 90s. And then when it goes back on television, TV itself is caught up with what David Lynch was trying to do. David Lynch and Mark Frost. Let's not forget Mark Frost, I guess. Um, and yet they still pull the rug from underneath you anyway. So, I, I mean, I adore both. I adore the whole thing. Yeah, I haven't seen The Return yet, but I, I really like Firewalk Me. I think the issue that it had, aside from like the slight cast changes that were also in the movie, it's really dark compared to the show. Like the the show has a nice balance of like intensity and humor. This one is just straight dark. Like you, yeah. you see, yeah, it's like, you know, it's somebody, especially... Laura Palmer is aware something bad's going to happen the entire time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just yeah, and just like just the intensity of her life. It's like you know you can tell when they like go through her diary of the show. It's like you can tell it's like oh she had a rough life. She's into some stuff. When you actually see it, it's like oh this is how bad it is. Like you don't really expect it to be like that. Yeah, it's. It's really challenging stuff. And if you haven't seen The Return, I will say these two things. Um, 
first off, it's more in line with the film than the series. So there's that. Uh, secondly, it's what took the series and, and, you know, booked it from a top 10 series to a top five for me. Like it's, it's a brilliant addition. And I feel like, I feel like you're going to love it, but enough about that. Let's get into your pick, James. Uh, what, um, what series turned film did you go with? So I had a really tough time because I had like three different options. So like one of the options I was going to go with was Entourage, but I thought that was a little bit too easy just because like the Entourage movie is literally just a a feature length episode of the show. So I didn't think it was really worthy of talking about. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go with uh, the movie Serenity, which is the sequel feature to the show. Yes. Firefly. And it's not good. Also, hot take, Firefly deserved to be canceled. Sorry, not sorry. Ooh, ooh, You're ooh. killing me. Uh, I, I'll, I'll explain why. Tonal okay. balance issues. That show has severe tonal balance issues. Did you watch it in the order that they broadcast it, which was out of order, or did you watch it as intended? <laughs> uh, whichever was streaming. I, actually so don't know. I think I watched it on streaming services. I don't know. I, I didn't realize that it was uh, released out of order. No, what I mean with tonal balance issues is not just regardless of how you watch it. There are some episodes that are really strong and then some episodes you could easily throw away. Firefly and me. I, I'm sorry, Rachel. I, I think it's a good show, but I do think it's overrated. I never fully understood why it was as beloved as it is outside of the fact that it's some fantastic world building. But for me, if I'm going space western stuff i'm more of a cowboy bebop guy myself see i was gonna go with that too because that had a movie that came out after but i was like no i'll I'll, i won't do that one because firefly would be more fun to talk about uh, and serenity is like an actual like film film so there is that side of it yeah it's just because it was the problem the main problem i also have with firefly is the fact it was designed to last for multiple seasons Mm-hmm. And I think that's its biggest downfall because it got canceled and it's like, there's a little too much that went unexplained. It, it kind of goes nowhere at this point. Also a uh, missed opportunity to really play up on Shepard's mysterious past. Like there's always the implied that he's seen things, but I'm just like, okay, can we get like flashbacks or something? But Serenity just kind of just really derailed it. Like it wasn't, it was, it was just as far as, sci-fi movies go it was very bland but by the end of it it's like okay this person dies why did that happen everyone's gone except for a couple people at the end it's like it tried to bring closure for something that definitely needed a lot more to happen before we got closure also i think it's just like i'm not like that big of a fan of joss whedon in general so it's like i i think he could have he should have did what he did with buffy and just released comic books for the rest of it that's fair I feel like some of those flaws are things that are really out of the control of, I guess, Whedon and everything else. Because, again, I, I'm pretty sure at least parts of it were shown out of order. I don't get why that happens. It's it's happened time and time again. Oh, with the series? Yeah. Yeah, like Moral Oral was one another instance of that. Like It's, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> so they're, they're left, like, trying to resolve things that they aren't planning for, you know? They shouldn't have to plan for it being released out of order unless you're the prisoner and it kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was. Yeah, I don't know. It's like and if you love Firefly, I'm not going to knock you for it. I just don't. 
there are certain cult shows that I just don't get why everybody loves. I mean, I also wasn't a, I didn't even finish it, but I'm not a fan of Freaks and Geeks. Don't come at me for it, though, because I understand why people love it. <laughs> we've, we've I feel like about Freaks and Geeks is great exactly the way it is, but yes. if it had gone on longer, it would not have been as good. Well, there was also that offshoot, wasn't there? What was that second attempt? Oh, undeclared. Um, I didn't even see yeah. that one. No, I mean, either Freaks and Geeks as it is. It's one of those ones where I can only wonder what, what would happen. But like you said, Rachel, maybe it could have been derailed. It's really magical as it is. I, I love bursting through, what is it, like the 17, the 17 episodes and just falling in love with it all over again. So... Who knows? Uh, but at least that kind of had a chance to resolve itself, whereas I don't think Firefly did when it first got canceled, you know? Yeah. Um, no matter. It is what it is. Uh, we are now going to, uh, I guess, cancel this this episode and just wrap it up here. Um, otherwise, let's give this off. Let's send this off with a good resolution. So before we get into our weekly recommendations, um, where can you find us, Rachel? You can find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram under the KCOT. We like to post film factoids and uh, links about our upcoming episodes. And for our collective pick this month for Cinematic Smorgasbord, we are watching Flowers of Shanghai. And our picks for each other are El Topo, The Cane Mutiny, and Road Racers by Robert Rodriguez. Ah, yes. Uh, That can only come from us because our tastes are so varied and yet they overlap. We always have wild smorgasbord lineups. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's fantastic, though. Should we, uh, because we never get a chance to talk about TV, should we just recommend random TV that we're into right now? Yes, 100%. Sure. Okay, Rachel, it sounds like you've got something in mind. Yes, I'm going to go with a little-known TV series from about a year ago. So it's already out of date, but it's still pretty cool. And that is Years and Years, and it stars Emma Thompson, and it's all about a family living the years 2019 to 2034 in an extremely depressing version of Britain. Somehow the actual 2020 managed to be even worse, but this one is still pretty frightening to watch, so be prepared for some difficult times, but definitely good, a good one. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to go with a bit of a, a more blatant pick uh it's 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 hardly unknown at this point um i'm in love with succession i think it's a a genius series and i'm awaiting season three so eagerly i have watched it all before seasons one and two and now i'm going through it all again with my girlfriend and i'm only loving it more the second time you're looking at this conglomerate family called the the roy family they are kind of a spoof of the Murdochs, although um, apparently that's been disputed, but I don't care. To me, they're still a spoof of the Murdoch family. Um, basically inspired by uh, King Lear, uh, you're watching this uh, billionaire family basically eat itself alive with uh, various power struggles and uh, developments of uh, the, the plagues of greed, including debts and manipulations and all sorts of stuff. So it's very satirical, but very intense as well. Love is, I love Succession. So, uh, James, what about you? You know, I'm actually going to go with I'm going to go with an anime. Uh, yeah. there's an anime that I really love called, uh, terror in resonance. And it is by, it is, it was created by a uh, Shinichiro Watanabe, who is the creator of cowboy bebop and samurai shampoo. Oh, okay. It's really good. It's only 11 episodes too. So it's a quick watch and it deals with 
there's a series of terrorist attacks and then you know all you get is like uploaded videos of the terrorists in masks and then you know you figure out who they are and then there's one high school girl who gets caught up in the middle of it and is kind of like has to kind of like helps them out and it just kind of this whole thing that unravels over a short period of time and it's it's just wild but yeah it's really good it's yeah and it's really short it's only 11 episodes and you know they're not like hour-long episodes so it's a really quick watch i'm gonna have to check that out yeah i'm finally getting to animate it for the first time this year uh because i'm doing all my tv research and yes. Yeah, I'm I'm game. I'm game for that. I loved Cowboy Bebop, so I'm game for this. Anyway, oh, if you watch that, you got to watch Samurai Shampoo next. After that, oh yes, yes, I, I might get to that in a little bit. I've got a lot of iconic series to get through, but I'm definitely going to be expanding my anime uh, repertoire very soon. So I'm excited for that. Um, nonetheless, uh, just like any other TV series, this was just a single episode. So please stay tuned for our next episode of the K Cut because that was just one episode of the K Cut, and um, we are going into the L Cut now. <laughs>